I think we're already seeing a sort of overreach there with, say, the WA and ACT police force, which have already been seen to use the, you know, QR check-in details and and what have you to track uh, criminal activity, which, you know, is already an overreach of, of the privacy that was promised to us. Welcome to another episode of This Catholic Life, conversations about life's ups and downs, big and small, how we deal with every situation imaginable, whatever life throws at us, but still manage to be sensible, practical and joyful. Today's show is a conversation about privacy. I'm your host, Peter Holmes. Today, I'm joined by Father Paul Rouse and by Bethany. Welcome, guys. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for having us on the show. Yeah, it's great to be back. A pleasure. Today's topic arises from a debate that's been going on in the US about privacy versus accountability. So just a little bit of background on the topic for those people who haven't been up with this discussion. A group called The Pillar, an investigative journalist um, team called The Pillar online, which I recommend, by the way, as as a place to go and get news, looked thoroughly into some data which became publicly available, commercially available, that I believe someone had to pay for it, which was from dating apps, or rather, let's be really honest about this, it's not dating, but actual hookup apps uh, for different people. But they looked in particular at an app called Grindr, uh, which is designed for same-sex hookups. Now, when they looked at this data, they found that uh, some of the data correlated with uh, a priest's mobile phone. They presented this data to uh, the priest's superiors, and he had ended up resigning um, rather than uh, let the, the investigation into this distract people from the work that he was doing. Now, he happened to be the secretary of the, the United States Catholic Bishops Conference, so it wasn't a small office that he held. He held quite a, quite an important office. And one of the points was is that part of his role was to oversee the sexual impropriety processes that are in place in the United States. So it's, it's a big debate about a lot of complex things. What we're going to do today, though, is talk about privacy because in the States, there's a massive discussion about whether this priest had a right to privacy, even if he was doing something wrong, whether he should, in fact, be left alone in the privacy of his own um, private time, I guess, uh, to just not be examined by the public. What are the issues that are arising here in this question? We've got, on one hand, we've got potential wrongdoing and things that might influence a serious office. And on the other, we've got privacy itself. Can we talk about privacy first? As a young person who uses social media a lot, Beth, what are, you, what are your thoughts on privacy and, and whether other people can get access to your data? Sure. Um, I mean, I think it's becoming a big concern. Uh, I mean, it always has been, but especially it's kind of in the spotlight now. But when it comes to church leaders and authority, it's not so much that they need to be seen to be doing the right thing. They need to be also doing the right thing. So <laughs> you know, it becomes a tricky one when, you know, they're, they're living their life according to do what I say, not do as I do. Privacy and security with online social media. Once you've set up social media accounts, you know, dating websites, what have you, you put your information out there that may very well come back to bite you. You know, once you've let that out on the world, we know that companies, that third parties meddle with our information all the time. You know, that's on you. If you don't want that information getting out there, then don't put it out there in the first place. And especially if you're a, a higher up in the church, um, don't, don't, 
engage in illicit activities to begin with and certainly don't put it out there for the world to see. All right. Thanks, Beth. Um, what about you, Father? You're in the cloister, literally, at the moment. Um, and <laughs> how does that, what do you think about the idea of uh, there being a preservation of some aspect of privacy and how does it work against accountability? Yes, okay. So especially, say, for priests, Beth is exactly right. It's not only to be seen to be doing the right thing but actually doing it. There's another level, isn't there, to add to what Beth said so well, which is that priests have an obligation even to teach on these matters. So we're going to be very concerned about hypocrisy. Uh, It's one thing to espouse a teaching, another thing to practice it, and then for for someone to teach it is is a whole other level. So. Privacy for priests, because we are somewhat public persons, not prominent, but we're public persons, we're owned, if you like, by a a corporate body of some sort, parishioners, shall we say, Uh, we have to take great care with how things seem and how things are done. Uh, To that extent, priests have probably less claim to privacy than an individual citizen, Uh, we have greater exposure and greater risk of falling. So there is always on us um, extra zeal, perhaps, for our own behaviour if it's done well. Hence why it's so scandalous when a priest such as the one you mentioned is exposed like this. Uh, Hopefully he's in a a tiny minority now of of zero cases like this, but uh, we have to be realistic. There's, There's every chance that others are doing it. But the, the risk of scandal is always present. So for priests and other semi-public persons, privacy is diminished somewhat. So the reason why that is is because of a notion of the common good, a notion of public commitment, and certainly of, of magisterial teaching, uh, the, the right, the responsibility to pass on the faith. In a previous episode, Father, we talked about confession, and one of the things we mentioned is that in the early church, confessions were public, and one of the reasons that confessions were public is that there wasn't really any such thing as a secret sin, because if you lived in houses without windows and you lived in a city and everyone knew what you were up to anyway, and there was a need for public confession because there was no secrecy about what you'd done, and so the what what was needed was a public redemption, if you like, for Christ's forgiveness to be known publicly so that they could be restored to the community and to God. Uh, I wonder, in this case, we whether we have a kind of an illusion of privacy. I mean, we, we seem to imagine that everything we do in our home is is very private, but almost everything we do is being tracked in some way. I was mentioning before we came on air to Beth, that someone had sent me a message jokingly talking about survivalist stuff, and I keep getting survivalist um, advertisements now on Facebook. So I'm I'm not sure we're quite as private as we think we are. Mm. Yes, uh, there were three uh, professions which had confidentiality for their clients as part of their uh, working arrangements, priests, doctors, and lawyers, depending on context, of course. Not everything you say to a doctor or a lawyer or a priest is, is absolutely private. So within certain norms or uh, community expectations, there are things which are to be kept confidential, basically the things which are disclosed to a professional in view of their job. So it's my role as a priest to hear confessions, and those things are to be kept absolutely private. There's no transgressing that confessional secret. But then there's a whole lot of other stuff which is also to be kept confidential or private 
which doesn't fall under the seal of the confessional, which under the right circumstances could be disclosed to authority or to a health official. Think of someone who comes with a, a sharp mental health difficulty or someone who mentions a crime in casual conversation, mm. even, uh, dare I say, mm. private conversation. We're under no obligation. In fact, we have a responsibility not to respect something like a claim to privacy. Right. So there is a distinction there between a claim and a right to privacy, which is to be to be articulated. Right. Uh, there are many claims to privacy. You know, you, I have a, I'm entitled, I have a right not to have my life intruded upon by outsiders, but uh, I, I only have a right to privacy when there's some good which is in danger or some good being protected, uh, and that's also foregone when my actions affect other people. So a big part of this then is our relationships with others and our uh, responsibilities towards other people. Beth, you look like you have something to add to that. A Bible verse spring to mind, mind, which may or may not be relevant, which I think comes from Luke, uh, which says something along the lines of what you have spoken, the words you have spoken in dark will be heard in daylight. The things mm. you've whispered in the ear and the inner rooms will later be shouted from the rooftops. And yeah. I thought, sure, that's, it's, you know, it's more uh, absolutely. a last that- judgment, end times <laughs> um, well, first, it- but. It's a reflection of Proverbs, which says, be sure your sins will find you out. Yes. Um, that it's, uh, things aren't secret, nothing is secret. However, there has to be said that there is, there is in fact, a concern for privacy. So when I was a, a minister, for example, it felt like I was living in a fishbowl because everyone watched not just moral issues. In fact, they had nothing to really look at in terms of my life, I was so busy that I didn't have time to get up to anything. Um, but basically, <laughs> oh, they would look feeling. at you know my children's behaviour and and my wife, what my scarf my wife wore and make comment on whether or not this was appropriate for you know the office kind of thing. Mm. There was a kind of level of fierce protection of that privacy, just because that level of scrutiny is not it's not humane. It's not fair on people to be scrutinized at that level. Uh, criticizing a priest, for example, if he, if he has a beer with a parishioner and saying he's, he's mingling with, it's, it's almost like people talking to Jesus. He mingles with tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> How dare he? <laughs> That's right. What an ideal sort of priest. <laughs> <laughs> well, surely. But um, so there is a genuine need for, uh, for the good of the both sanity and, and privacy of people. But, I mean, even claiming privacy within my own home, I'm I'm married. None of you are, uh, have a good reason really to know the private details of my relationship with my wife until, as you pointed out, Father, something goes wrong. And if there's evidence that I have mistreated my wife, of course that the right to privacy is over superseded by the, the need to make sure that someone's protected, right? Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're always interested in safety and the good. Uh, what what's mm. what's in jeopardy here if the privacy is disclosed? The privacy is is foregone. What um, if I push it a little harder though, mm. Father, and say the good sometimes isn't quite as serious as that. So, for example, every time I tap on with my my card to go uh, to and from work via a train, all of my movements are tracked. Right. In fact, they've acknowledged, the government's acknowledged that they use this as part of the tracking process when someone with COVID gets on a train. They can track whoever else has been on the train by use of their cards. Sure. Now, that's, that's the good at work there is simply an administrative good. 
it makes for a more efficient service. It makes for an easier in and out. I don't know if you remember the times when you had to push tickets into machines or show tickets to people. It speeds things up. But it's not like a massive moral good except for the convenience of it. And it can be potentially used in bad ways, can't it? Sure. If, if Gladys suddenly turned uh, into a malign dictator, that would, that would be dreadful. <laughs> um, I don't know how she'd manage that, but it would be truly awful. And you could Sorry. foresee that things like movement of population would be something that a dictator would be interested in. Um, um, I think we're already seeing a sort of overreach there with, say, the WA and ACT police force, which have already been seen to use the you know QR check-in details and and what have you to track uh, criminal activity, which right. you know is already an overreach of of the privacy that was promised to us. You know that these would be you know, th- right. these check-ins were for COVID purposes only, not for you know catching petty thieves or criminals or what have you. You know whether that's in pursuit of the common good or not. I don't think the common good ever goes against individual goods and i think that could be taken as an as a case of of a conflict there i'm not sure um, i mean let's the moral throw theology some... might be whack <laughs> no it's quite Would... sound yes let's throw another one in there i mean there was a, a in the us there was a problem with speed cameras because some people claimed successfully apparently uh that t- the taking of a picture against their will <laughs> on the road was actually a violation of their privacy because they might you know, be up to something that they don't want other people to know. It's not illegal, but it's up to something that they don't want other people to know. And therefore, that it was it was deemed invalid to, to use speed cameras to them. Now, I don't think that succeeded in Australia uh, when it was attempted. But the point is, is that there seems to be, I don't know, I don't know where the line is. I think that's, that's just ludicrous that you would suggest that uh, I can get away with anything as long as a policeman didn't actually grab me doing it because you're not allowed to survey me. Um, if I'm using roads, then I have entered into a contract with, with the, you know, the, the, the community to behave appropriately on those roads, and therefore I can expect to be held accountable for that. And if I'm uh, you know, taking on a, a role as serious and as, as um, significant to everyone's faith as a priest, then I'm committing myself to a life which actually lives up to those standards. I mean, even as a university lecturer, uh, my privacy is, of course, respected. But if it ever comes to light that I have done something that um, that brings the university into disrepute, whether it's in my public or private life, then I'm my you know my employment is affected by that. Well, Peter, you mentioned contract, and I think that would be key for uh, developing the thought from what Beth is saying. I, I happen to agree with what Beth has said. The uh, the the piece that would be important to add here is that the government has set up these QR codes so that COVID uh, details can be kept. So if there's to be an amendment to that purpose, then the whole thing needs to be renegotiated. That needs to be communicated to the population and they need yes. to have a they have, have the opportunity to correct that or to reject it. Part um, of the problem in that case, Father, is that the, the, the so-called debate happens in Parliament theoretically, but none of our, almost none of our state parliaments have a legitimate opposition, whichever one happens to be in power is so far in power that it's almost impossible to get any kind of checks and balances. And so all of these laws, these COVID laws that have gone through at a state level have more or less gone through unopposed. They've just done whatever they think they can get away with. Yes. Well, it just goes to show that uh, democracy is doomed to fail. 
a benign dictatorship is the only way forward. <laughs> as long I'm as I'm the benign of, dictator. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, th- that's a... Um, that's a statement from Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog, the world's or, or a mess and I just I mean, have to rule it. I'd be quite happy to have a triumvirate if absolutely necessary, but you know, <laughs> we don't want to get carried away. <laughs> There's a Julie Bishop, I think, who said something along the lines of uh, everyone secretly wishes they ran their own benevolent dictatorship. So, you know, <laughs> maybe this but, Yeah, she's right in so far as everyone wants it. I'm, I'm just not so secret about it. <laughs> I'm, I, I mean, ha, if you've ever had to run anything, you, you'll know that it's never fun to run a dictatorship even then um, because everyone's always coming to you and asking for something. But uh, I wonder, most people seem to just want to be left alone mm. um, to do what they want to do. Now, that's fine if all you want to do is is within the boundaries of our normal freedoms. My concern is where, where we draw the line because what seems to be at stake here with the with the co- appeal to freedom is that you have no right to judge me basically that's what they're saying when someone says i i have a right to privacy they're saying i don't want my deeds to be held um i don't want to be held accountable for my deeds i don't want you to know about them because that would not be convenient for me could you say perhaps there's an alternative position which is that only people who have the right to know when people say in public office have have you know gone against their better judgment and have you know done something immoral or whatever that only people who need to know that that person has done wrong should know. So, right. for instance, going back to um, the it was it the USCCB secretary Peter. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, for instance, for him, that that's something that should primarily be dealt with in the USCCB and then dealt with by people who only who need to know that information. Maybe that's not a good example because he held such a public office, but say as a as a lecturer, if you were to have gone against your contract and, you know, done something immoral or whatever, um, that your dirty laundry isn't hung out for everyone to see and everyone to criticize, mm. but only the people who absolutely have the right to that knowledge. Absolutely. Um, well, that's just the eighth commandment at work there, Beth. Um, I agree with you on that one. Uh, the the Lutheran explanation of the Eighth Commandment is explain their actions in the kindest possible way and that when we actually do come uh, to the point where we feel like we, we need to say something bad about someone, we say it to the least number of people that's necessary to get the desired effect. Yes. So if someone's in a position that can't, uh, that, that their deeds are impacting on what they're supposed to be doing, um, then if we tell the people that are necessary to tell. So for one example recently was um, our own Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, had a relationship which wasn't known to the public and it turns out that the fellow she was dating at the time was a scoundrel and ha- has got up to some things that he's been convicted of since hmm. um, and it influenced our government uh, in some part at least. There's, it's unclear as to how yet, but that relationship was something that should be known to the appropriate persons, but we don't necessarily, like I don't need to know the details of her relationship. Yes. That's just me being, um, what is it, gratuitous kind of uh, Curious. voyeurism. Yeah, mm, kind mm. Of thing. I don't need to know that, but people who are actually involved in the regulatory bodies um, over these decisions do need to know that sort of thing. So that there'd be an, a need to know insofar as the person is public, 
and they have pub decisions that impact upon the common good or the private lives of citizens. So the more public someone is, the less privacy they're probably entitled to. If I have any relationships at all um, of any nature, like any kind of intimate nature, with anyone who is a staff or student of Notre Dame, I'm required to declare that to my direct to my direct supervisor. Mm, good. Um, uh, whatever the moral nature of that relationship, um, obviously that comes into account because I've taken a vow to uphold the Catholic teachings as a yeah. theologian. But every staff member of Notre Dame is required to report that so that the, the appropriate persons are aware to make the necessary adjustments to make sure everything's equal and, and that we're not being preferential or bad treatment on the basis of relationships. So there's quite a bit of responsibility that the individual has to declare uh, potential conflicts of interest. This is a, a feature of board meetings all over the country, yes. They're held accountable for that when it's discovered later mm. that they didn't declare it, and that, mm. that's a serious thing in itself. So perhaps we could, I mean, privacy is something that is best managed by ourselves, really, that we are honest about what details are necessary for people to know for their purposes. Another one, let's just throw a hypothetical about, out there. If we're aware of something um, that would affect someone else's relationships, um, so oh, oh, this isn't hypothetical. I was in this situation when I was quite a young fellow. I was aware of a girlfriend of my friend uh, having uh, been unfaithful to him, and she begged me not to tell him. So does she have a right to privacy in that case? Um, do I have a duty to my friend to tell them? You know, th you see what I'm saying? There's a kind of a tension there. Well, what did you do, first of all? <laughs> well, that's tipping my hand. That's, that's going to influence the conversation if I tell you what I did. Well, that's a real case. It's not a hypothetical. Mm. It is. I'd be keen to hear from Beth, though. She's, she seems to be. <laughs> Don't ask the priest. It's terrible. <laughs> you oh. make it an answer you like. I want to hear from Beth, too. <laughs> oh, dear. I think, you know, Era hath no rights. Um, you know, she Ooh. has no right oh, to. Oh, gosh. Oh, no. <laughs> that did is I a great quote. Words? <laughs> it sounded um, like it was a quote. Where did it come from? Yes, I actually don't know. Uh, it comes Hera from the Inquisition no when they said that heretics have no rights. So oh, they dear. could torture them in the way that they wanted <laughs> in order to extract a confession oh. of faith or of heresy from them. Good so gracious. I don't think that we want to say that necessarily. <laughs> well, this time and I thought it was probably some English poet or something. <laughs> I but just no. want to know who you're torturing, that's all. <laughs> Take um, that's... A, a medical team and some confessors and we'll go and sort them out for you. Mm. <laughs> I'll keep that one private for now. But, uh, <laughs> no, I'd say that, you know, both the individual good of her soul and the common good of their relationship I think would dictate that he has every right to know. Uh, about her infidelity. Yeah. So in in that case, I decided that the um, what was necessary for my friend to know was its details pertaining to the relationship, which he believed was was a good one. But I did say that uh, she should be given the chance, at least, mm -hmm. to be honest about the situation. And so, in the, I was probably a bit draconian, but I said, "You have a week to tell." Uh, and at the end of that week, I will tell. Yikes. Yeah. And so that's tough, but that's probably the best. Yeah. Mm. Well, um, yeah. And and given given the nature of things, um, I, I thought it was, I, I also considered the nature of my friendship. Could I look my friend in the eye, having known this detail and gone along with, because he often asked me advice about the relationship. So 
uh, it would put me in a very compromised position morally. So, and in the end, um, yeah, there were other considerations there. So in the end, I had to tell him because she didn't. And um, it was the end of that relationship, which much later he thanked me for much, much later. But we are still friends. That's right. That's a good friendship. That, mm. that <laughs> friendship has lasted 30 years. So that's a good thing. We're getting to the end of this conversation. We might have exhausted the different tensions here, but I think that the COVID thing is a, a very good example. We are claiming a common good um, with the so, so-called common good with this um, COVID tracking. We can see that it's necessary. And if we have really, really good tracking, we might get out of this lockdown quickly, hopefully. Um, but I think Beth's raised some really good concerns about what if it's used for other purposes that we haven't agreed to have we opened the door to a, a much higher level of surveillance for purposes which they decide, not that we have democratically agreed to? So, yeah, good questions. I don't know if we've solved all the world's problems, but it's good to raise them. <laughs> <laughs> and it's good to look at them in the context of Catholic um, moral understanding, the common good and the good of individuals uh, protected from spurious and, and um, sort of scandal, uh, manufactured scandal. That's all for now on this discussion, I think. Um, don't forget that this is a particularly Catholic podcast in Australia and we think that's an idea worth getting behind. You can respond or feedback or tell us what we should talk about and uh, privately, uh, but I wouldn't do it by Facebook if you want to do it privately. I'd send us an email at info at thiscatholiclife.com.au, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter or Discord if you want to say it publicly. Check out all the show notes on the website and write us a review on iTunes if you can. We'll be back next week, but that's all for now. Thank you for listening to This Catholic Life.